So these are the extra questions that came in via Twitter that Jack and I didn't quite get round to answering in the podcast that we've done. So the first one comes from Stephen, which is what underpins your own values and beliefs that you incorporate into your own work life? And why do you think these are important within my organisation and role? So a great a great question to, to start with, really. And uh, for me, values and beliefs and what makes people feel good in life and at work is just so fundamental to um, business success, team success, whatever it might be that you're trying to achieve. So for me, there are three that um, personally stand out. First one is listen first. So I have a belief that if I listen first, I'll be able to then build a better view or approach uh, tactics for that session, whatever it might be, based off what I hear. So yes, I've got views and opinions, but actually if I listen first, I can then shape that around the needs of the individual or the team or the organisation. Second one for me, really important value, is about treating people as individuals. So um, people are different, we know that, and we can we can see that in, in football, definitely. If I can work out what makes somebody feel good, work better, be more driven or more motivated, then I can work with that and get the best from them. So treating people as individuals is a really key value for me. And then my third one that stands out, particularly in organisational work, is fairness or doing the right thing. So that doesn't mean just being nice. Um, it can be challenging and, and being perhaps giving feedback when other people haven't given that feedback to somebody before. And quite often in businesses, um, there's a there's a context of reminding, particularly some senior people, that people are people. They're not just a business resource. So if you show that you know people, that you treat them well, that you're human um, and that we get more out of people, then of course the business or the team or the organisation will succeed. So those are my, my three values really. Listen first, treat people as individuals and then this drive for fairness and doing the right thing. So the second question which came in from Phil, Phil O'Brien, was what are your observations on the vision and philosophy of organisations? Develop it organically or lay it on? So... I don't think you can read any articles at the moment without sort of vision, culture uh, being a hot topic. And for me, there's a real difference in organisations that say it and do it. So um, that regenerating it every day is absolutely true. So every action, behaviour or word that you live or that your senior managers or that your colleagues live satisfy whether that culture is working or not, good or bad. So... I think um, where I've seen it work well is that you can establish a framework, you can establish a handful of principles that the culture and the values sit within. If everybody then isn't involved in shaping what it means to them and feeling as if they've had a say, then it isn't their culture, it isn't their vision and, and philosophy. So there's a difference between the organisation having a set of values and principles but if they're done to me, then I will never fully believe that they're mine. So create the framework but every day and run some activities that allow people to shape those within their own teams and roles. Um, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be a simple list or a simple conversation around. And if you were to do that, what would that look like for you? Or what would make that work for you? 
so that people feel that they it's theirs um and as i said it's 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 more than just words on the wall so another question which came in from Steve was around uh, thinking about grassroots in a volunteer environment. So how do we reach or influence those who don't want to be or don't wish to be reached or influenced? So this question on volunteer I know is really relevant for grassroots because without them uh, many of our clubs and teams just wouldn't run and wouldn't succeed. So there's a there's a real balance then between what do I do when I've got volunteers who perhaps aren't uh, behaving or, or supporting the way that, that you either as a coach or as the organisation or as a team want to move forward. So there's a couple of things that I'd suggest. First of all, it's trying to understand what's stopping that volunteer wanting to be reached or influenced and working backwards from that. So think about why why did they first get involved in the club? What When are they at their best? What is it that makes them really feel good about volunteering and about being part of football? If we don't know that, then that's a conversation to start and have with that individual. But once we've got that, it's them trying to work out, so what's missing? What are we not doing or what's stopping that individual feeling good? And can we give them that and have that conversation with them? Um, there is still a difference between can't do and won't do. So you can work all that out and have that conversation and somebody can still choose not to, not to change, not to be involved, not to want to be influenced. And that's ultimately that, that hard choice that we have when we're managing and leading people anyway. So um, if it's more of a won't do, then perhaps there's some feedback conversations around the impact of their behaviour, what their behaviour is not allowing them to, to get involved in or where they might be missing out in opportunities. But very much work backwards from when are they at their best? What might we be missing and how can we then perhaps frame it differently? That leads into our next question, which came from Samuel, uh, which is all around difficult conversations. So where particularly I think there's a there's a reference to parents. Uh, parents have a fixed opinion about, um, for example, winning versus completing all the foundation phase first. How do you convince them that this hurts a child's development when you know, it's this idea of diplomacy? So I, I know this is a, a, a regular thing and it's, it's trying to be really specific about your feedback to enable you to be diplomatic. So you may have heard me in the podcast talk about the AID model, AID, which is about how you can structure giving feedback that takes the personal, um, the person, the personal piece out of it. So for example, the A is about action. So what the, the parent in this case might be doing or saying or encouraging. The I is then impact, what impact that might have on you as the coach or uh, them as a parent, the child in terms of their long-term development, the team. Um, and that's where the feedback really lands with parents if you focus on the impact of their child or the team or the, the success. And then the D of aid is what you want them to do differently or do more of. And again, you can be really specific about, you know, I'd prefer it if or I need you to or could we find a way where and you, you suggest what you want them to do differently. So that's AID, action, impact, do. I've got a great example going around in my head of my son's football team where a parent used to incentivise their child a pound for every goal that they scored. And it took a good few months for the coach to work with that parent around the impact that had, that the child wanted to always have the ball, wouldn't pass, 
lost trust then with the rest of the the team um and only through some good conversations with that parent did that approach change so so i really get that question thanks for that next question um that's coming from richard richard jones is what's the first rule you'd implement on or off the field in regards to culture so for me trust trust is the foundation to any team working together Uh, being successful and there's several models out there that will show that what that looks like I suppose in grassroots football is everything from will you pass the ball to me Uh, is the coach working in my son's best interest will this tactic definitely deliver us being able to play better together whatever it might be do I like you as a as another player in my team so what that would look like is encouraging a set of values where um where the children trust each other and trust you as the coach or as the team manager. So that could be agreeing some real foundations of, you know, we play hard, we have fun, you know, we support each other, we listen and respect, whether that's to each other or the coach or the referee. Um, And that, that other piece that is important in businesses, which I see translating into football, is we also socialise together. So if I know you and, and we enjoy spending time with each other or I know a little bit more about what, what makes you tick and who you are, then that will come through in, in, our, in how we play on the pitch. So trust is really a foundation for me about all uh, success for great teams and that's definitely something that I'd want to encourage no matter what the age, the age of the team in grassroots might be. So our next question, which comes from Daz, is... Is honesty always the best policy regarding managing negativity? Simply does, yes. Um, Absolutely fundamentally believe being honest is the best approach. The challenge we have is how you give that uh, feedback or you manage that negativity. So as I was saying before, when we choose to manage negativity, it's, it's what we say and where we deliver it. So first of all, where are you giving that feedback? Um, so be mindful of doing it you know, quietly away from people or how, how quickly you manage that neg- negativity. So, for example, if you have a behaviour within the team or a parent or a supporter and we let that continue, you're actually saying it's OK to behave that way when you support our team or in a coaching session. So one is about timely dealing with that. Uh, and the second one, again, I referred to the aid model earlier, is making sure you choose your words really carefully. So you talk about what someone was doing, not you were aggressive or you know you've been lazy today in the session what, whatever it might be you've got to focus on what they did what the impact was and what you want them to keep doing or do more of or do differently so that will help you change that perception of negativity but definitely honesty is always the best policy in my opinion so this question from Ian, Ian Dipper, is sort of three questions in one, really. So what are the key ingredients to managing people? Which one ingredient can you not do without? And then what type of people are the toughest to manage? God, sounds like Ian's got some um, real specific people in mind. So let's start with the first one. What key ingredients uh, do I believe there are in managing people? So... Um, Five spring to mind for me. Trust. I've already talked about that. Absolutely uh, trusting each other. The second second one, get to know them, what makes them tick. Thirdly, listening. We think we listen, but actually do we listen and do we take action on what we hear? The fourth one, importantly for me, is demonstrating what you advocate. 
So if I say I'm interested in people, if I say that I'm interested in performance or whatever it might be, my actions, my words, my behaviours need to demonstrate that first. So I need to lead by example. And then the fifth one for me is being human. So people people very it's that intrinsic piece people know if you're genuine people know if you're authentic and there's um there's a real ingredient in in managing people and leadership at the moment about being human it's okay if you mess up it's okay if you don't always get things right but but get to know people as people so those those are my five which one for me is most important um as a manager and leader is demonstrating what you advocate so if i expect others to do it I have to do it first. I should be doing it first. I want to do it first. Um, and what type of people are the toughest to manage? It's going to depend on what you find difficult. So if I give you a list, you know, people who are highly ambitious, some people find that quite hard to manage in their team. Um, people who are negative or moaners that perhaps bring down the motivation levels, that can be challenging. People who won't listen or really close-minded or really opinionated, um, that can be a challenge. People who are arrogant, believe they know it all. God, it sounds like I'm listing a, a previous team I used to work in. Um, and then the other one, you know, where perhaps people haven't had any feedback, so their behaviours have festered um, and they think what they're doing is right because no one has told them it isn't. So there's just a handful of four or five that spring to mind. So what what's the tough, toughest to manage out of that is where for me the feedback hasn't happened early enough about behaviors so if we haven't sat down and talked about values and behaviors of the team if we haven't really thought about what's going to get the most out of all of us you're then just working backwards um so it can be a whole heap of things i, th I think for me personally um, and in my role sometimes as a consultant it's where egos and arrogance get in the way um, and people therefore close themselves off to listen because they believe they know everything. I can find that really difficult. Um, and I suppose I can try and listen and persuade, um, but ultimately sometimes I choose to to walk away and choose to say, uh, you know, uh, there, are, there are people elsewhere that I can perhaps guide, support, mentor, coach, rather than spending time where I know that it's not going to make a difference. So um, I think it's a very personal one about what's the toughest to manage. But in any team, you will have a number of those things happening at any time. And it's it's tackling it as quickly as you can uh, to try and resolve it for the good of the others. Final question we had in is one about diversity. So how important is diversity when looking at a club committee? And what examples do I have of this in practice in organisations, the way that it's helped groups think and make decisions? So um, again, for me, diversity is, is I, think, I think within football and within businesses, we are recognising that diversity is a great thing. And for me, um, it's extremely important. So if we take elements of that, it could be around age, could be around experience, could be about gender, and, and very much also is about culture. And all of those things, what I feel they bring is variety. So that variety for me brings creativity around ideas, uh, different viewpoints, different questions that perhaps we haven't considered before as a team or as a committee or as an organisation. So it's there's two things that they will make that a success one is having an open culture so that actually that diversity is valued and encouraged and, and is acted upon 
And the second one is is being open to create that diversity. So again, not doing it just because we think we should, doing it because we recognise the benefits it will bring. So um, there's a couple of examples that spring to mind. So within football, I can think very much where there's a few appointments that have been made of perhaps less technically minded football individuals and what they've brought to to committees or teams is just a different viewpoint where they'll ask perhaps questions around what why why are we doing that what's the reason behind and perhaps we'll challenge some of those very embedded principles and beliefs which I believe can appeal to perhaps some of the younger generation we're getting into football or the younger volunteers that really want to play a part in the way that football clubs and committees are run. The second part for me, I can think of a um, senior leadership team that I worked with in an organisation, male uh, CEO, chief executive, and six male direct reports. And working with them to... uh, to get them to work better together, not just singularly operate their business lines. The biggest challenge we had was them opening up and being quite honest about what weren't their strengths and what didn't work for them and perhaps what they weren't very good at. Um, Six months after that initial piece, a a change of roles, change of leadership, there was a, a female appointed into one of those roles. And just having a single female in that group brought a different dynamic brought a dynamic of perhaps a bit more open about people and a bit more open about sharing some of that emotional intelligence. The danger was making sure that the the female in that group then didn't pick up a lot of the activities around people, that it was actually shared out. um, And we looked at people as individual around talents and strengths, not just to do with their gender, but that the just the implementation of having the very first female into that group made a difference about the openness of that senior leadership group, which, of course, everybody else beneath them that was working in their teams could equally feel. So for me, diversity is brilliant. Um, And perhaps in football, I, I know that that's the way things are changing and the culture within a committee or within a team needs to be open to accept and explore what difference any of that cultural, gender, age, experience difference will bring. I hope those um, answers have been helpful in some way. As the questions came directly from Twitter, if you want to get in touch with me about anything else or uh, to discuss that further, the Twitter address for us, create the difference, so is at difference the. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot. I've been meaning to record a new outro for a while now and what better place to do it than in the bathroom of an aeroplane in mid-flight. Thanks to Liz for taking the time to answer those questions. The clarity and honesty of her approach really impresses me every time. We've been fortunate enough to have been working with Liz for the last year within the grassroots unit at the FA and I'm looking forward to being challenged further by her over the coming months. Thanks again for taking the time to listen in. I'm really looking forward to welcoming a good friend and former teammate of mine, Matt Craddock, on next, who's been waiting patiently since we recorded the episode around Christmas. Matt is head of coaching at a championship club and shares some really rich experiences and advice for coaches looking to make a career in the academy system. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a hand to spread the word. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening in on. Don't forget to follow us at Liverpool underscore CFA to keep up to date with everything going on local. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show so far. So if you want to get in touch with me, it's at Jack Walton one. See you later.